How to Be Mediocre by J.D. De Palma, primarily narrated by J.K. Larkin, with assistance by Danielle Masquode, published by Red Penguin Books. Chapter 5. Recording a song you'll probably never hear. I wake up the next morning elated. I have just had the best first date of my life. Is this how Ross and Rachel felt kissing in the rain? It must be. Speaking of which, I need a shower. In all honesty, I keep thinking about her in everything I do. I even think about her as Bruce knocks his head on the door to drink some of the shower water. Usually at this point, I'm highly overthinking what I do and the things I say. Having this much anxiety over such simple tasks is really irritating. Sometimes it makes me dizzy and frustrated. When it gets that bad, my old mental health counselor used to say, just find a place to stand or sit, close your eyes, and realize that it'll pass. A viable solution will come, you just can't see it right now. <laughs> Wait a second. That's not a bad lyric. Just so you all know, I am one of those freaks who can't help but write something down when it comes to him. I open my notes section of my iPhone and jot down, for quite possibly the hundredth time, a new set of lyrics. One step forward, ten steps back, overthinking the things I lack. Yeah, that's not bad. Hold. Insert song here. Nothing helps inspiration more than a standard poodle moaning at you to take him for a walk or pay attention to him. G'day, Bruce. We'll walk in a bit. I constantly feel like I'm under attack. While the whole world is spinning, it all fades to black. Being real with lyrics has almost become a form of journal writing. It gets the bad out to make room for more good. Now I'm left alone, without you here to pull me out. Man, this song is hitting like a flood. I get out of the shower and call Tim to set up some studio time. Though we get along great, and in all honesty, he's probably my best friend, when he gets a call from me, he knows that his work will probably go unnoticed since I've released absolutely nothing. Yes, I pay him his fee, but some take pride in their work. I'm getting there, but to some, they like to have something to show for their years of hard work. That's why I think when this is done, I may try and at least get it copyrighted and maybe put it on YouTube at best. Uh, give him something for his endeavor. I get dressed and wait while chatting with Tim about what we'll need. I sit in Dad's chair, this big chair he uses for reading. The man inhales one good book per week, so he needs his space for that. It's so comfortable, and he's kind enough to let anyone sit in it. But if he's got a good book and a glass of milk, he'll just stare at you like, you know the drill. Up. Not even Bruce is sacred on that chair. He damn near comes with one of those brushes that umpires use to clean home plate. Up, you stinking dog! I'm sitting and texting back and forth with Tim, but I don't need to put his lamp on since I have the phone, so... It is a bit dark in the room. And here it comes again. Another bout of anxiety almost on cue. I suddenly have this feeling that I've been at this way too long and I've been missing the outside world and not progressing myself as a person. What am I saying? I know I have, and that's the whole point of going back to school, but my anxiety is so strong that it makes me say the stupid shit that I know I don't mean. So, time to settle in. I buckle down, put my head back to the edge of the chair, and mutter to myself, it will pass, it will end, just hunker down until it ceases. <sighs> sure enough, it does. 
Obviously, it's my method, but whatever is legal and works for you, give it a shot. I get out my notes and start jotting down the second verse. Have I been here way too long, pondering how I missed it all? Turning the lights off, they flicker, they fade, pondering all the mistakes I've made, and did I push myself too far? This is how songwriting is, everyone. When inspiration hits, it hits. It takes time, elbow grease, and trial with a whole lot of error. It's not how everyone does it. But for me, this is it. At around noon, Tim opens up shop and gets everything warmed up. I pull up to the studio and in the meantime help him with his chores. Uh, by the way, the studio is in the basement of his parents' house. A lot of the glamour and show you see in Hollywood aren't exactly how most studios are. When you're starting out, often enough it's on a computer program in your basement or bedroom. I've even seen one in a greenhouse. <laughs> There's nothing quite like getting drum sounds next to a bag of fertilizer. Talk about sounding like shit. <laughs> we bring everything down, usually one or two items at a time. Today I brought the acoustic, one electric, an arrangement of five or so pedals, a bag of chords, and the amplifier. And that's a light load. From time to time I bring the keyboard, bass, or pedal steel, all with their own individual amplifiers. Luckily the bass recording I sent to Tim of the riff made him confident enough for him to use his own bass. What most do is start with a drum track. They get the rhythm for the song and structure it before everyone else adds on their respective instruments or sound effect. Often in my songs, it starts with the guitar or vocals. Maybe from time to time a bass starts out. And since Tim's usually my drummer and is hearing the song for the first time, I'll start with whatever. Then when he feels confident enough, he goes in and lays it down while I play it into an amplifier that only he hears with headphones on. What we do after all that depends on the individual song. This song is very bare bones, so we're using only the acoustic, the electric for one solo, and maybe the synthesizer on his computer for one or two notes on a keyboard with a certain sound effect that isn't available on mine. Speaking of bare tones, if you ever walk into a recording session and hear some of the musicians talk, you'd swear they were speaking another language of stupid similes and moronic metaphors, especially when using pedals and other things to alter the sound an instrument makes. Let's say I'm using fuzz, a sound effect used a lot in grunge or alternative music. I've heard people use it, then say, man, that sounds like your guitar got dragged through mud, then plugged in to make some music. Right on. Can someone tell me why I do that? <laughs> Hell, if I could do that, I wouldn't have bought the stupid pedal. Or if I could use some phaser and put a delay on, sounds like you're in outer space, bro. Righteous. If space had sound, people could probably hear you scream. So shut up and don't screw with good movie quotes. Now, let's say I was doing a heavy song that involved me using my voice to be more heavy oriented. I swear to God, you'd probably hear, your voice sounds like you're boiling screws and nails with lava from a volcano, dude. Need I say more? They mean well, but pff, holy shit, it is goofy. We set up, hit record, and each part is recorded individually. And I have to tell you, it came out great. Even he was impressed. This is the guy who has heard every song I've ever been willing to record. So, of the songs I'm proud of, this is by far the proudest I've ever been. To show someone a song you wrote, or any art for that matter, really takes a certain type of confidence. Art is the extension of your reality. So when someone hears a song you wrote and says, eh, I don't like it, 
it really kind of kills you. Obviously, there will be songs and any other forms of art that don't speak to you, and you yourself may even say, this sucks. I've done it myself, even on the way over here, but just understand, if the time ever comes when someone shows you what they've been working on, criticism is important, but be constructive. Tim may say that something sucks, but he says it in a way that's more palatable. He says, it's not for me, or that doesn't speak to me the way you want it to. Even today, between the two verses of lyrics, he liked them but flipped the verses. He put the second verse first. Producing is one hell of a job that I want nothing to do with. God bless him. I'm packing my stuff up when he comes in after being on the phone for quite some time. He looks me dead in the face. How do you like to keep this going? Dude, I'd love to, but I have a big day ahead of me. That's not what I mean! You seem really on your game today, and if you can keep that up, I'll be happy to record and play on this for free. You don't have to pay me, and we'll have an arrangement to make it official. I was flabbergasted. Tim, you know I'd never let you do that for me. It's not right to do all this work for no money, and I respect you too much for that crap. Doug, I think this is the best song you have, and in truth, you seem a lot different. In a good way. You seem more relaxed and with a greater perspective of who you are. I think the idea of never doing this again is making you take more chances and make better songs. I want to see where this goes. What do you say? You have to understand what all that means to me right now. This is his job, his trade, and his profession. It's a very rare occasion when someone who does his job as well as he does offers to do it for free for the sheer reason of, I want to see it happen. It only happens so often. Goodwill like this is miraculously rare, and to not do your absolute best by that person would be a moral sinkhole. So, though I promised myself not to get sucked back up into this business, not to subject myself to the inevitable letdown of doing something creative for money, not to give my all to something that won't show me love back, I said... Let's do it, man! This has been How to Be Mediocre by J.D. DePalma, primarily narrated by J.K. Larkin with assistance by Danielle Masquode, published by Red Penguin Books.